we are continuing our series that is called One Another. One Another. And what we're doing is we're looking at, uh, in the New Testament, over uh, around about a hundred times, it, it uses the word, the Greek word, for one another. And about half of those times refer to the church where the writers are giving the church instructions on how they are to exist together. Things that they are to do for one another. He's, the New Testament is really digging into what we should be as a church. What we should be as a church. And so as we continue our, our study, the one that we're going to look at this week is found in James 5, where he tells us to pray for one another. To pray for one another. That is one of the most used sayings, right? I'll pray for you. How many times do we say that? How many times do I say that? Uh, how many times when we say it do we actually mean it? How many times do we say, I'll pray for you, and then we actually follow up and do it? Do we believe that when we say it? Do we actually think that that's going to help the people that we're praying for? You know, as I think about it, the most qualified man to write under the inspiration of the Spirit about prayer is James. Y'all know what they called him? They called him Old Knobby Knees. Old Knobby Knees, because out of all the apostles, his knees were the ones that they say were, were just knobby from all that time that he spent on his knees in prayer. So much so that, that he starts his letter here with prayer. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He starts it with prayer, and then we're going to see here in the text that he ends it with prayer as well. Prayer is everything to him. Prayer is key to how the Christian is supposed to live the Christian life. So he writes about prayer and he says some things that are a little different when we think about prayer that we need to be reminded of. When I think about the Gospel, as, as Christians, you know we believe the good news that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve. That we don't perform our way in, but that He takes us where we are and He brings us into the presence of the Father. We believe that we're not accepted based on our works, but based on what Jesus did at the cross. And so that changes everything about how we look at prayer. For example, we believe that despite our sin, Christ brings us near to God when we pray. That means that even when we don't feel worthy, hello, when we don't feel worthy to pray, if we believe this Gospel, this good news about Jesus, we can go and approach anyway, knowing that it's not our works that gets us an ear of the Father, but it's Jesus. The Gospel also changes it because now that we have been adopted through Christ, now that we have become children of God where we were once enemies, now... That means that God delights to hear from us. That He's not at odds with us as He once was when we were in our sin before we knew Christ, but He welcomes us and He delights to hear from us. James is going to show here how prayer is powerful and it's for the church to be doing for each other. And that's the main thing that we're going to get from the text today. And this is where we're going today. Prayer is effective... And it brings healing to the church. 
It is effective and it brings healing to the church. Join with me as we read James chapter 5 together. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. James chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the reminder that prayer is powerful. We thank You for the reminder, Lord, that we need to pray for each other. Lord, as we look at Your Word today, remind us how powerful prayer is. And remind us, Lord, our duty to pray for each other. Not just pray for each other when something goes wrong, but regularly be praying for one another. Father, I pray for people in this room today that don't know Jesus, that they would see the relationship that, you, that you're calling us to and that you're inviting them into and that they would lay down everything this morning, that they'd lay down their sin, they would lay down their, their life and that they would run and cling to Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So here is where we are going this morning. There are three reflections as we look at this passage. Uh, prayer brings healing to each other. Prayer is powerfully effective. And finally, prayer should be practiced by every Christian. So we start in verse 16 there. Prayer brings healing to each other, to one another. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When you see the word therefore, you need to look back a little bit and, and, and look at the context. Where is he coming from when he says this? Well, Paul is, is, or James rather, is coming from the context of telling the church that they should pray in all circumstances. He says whether it is uh, in suffering, whether it's through cheerfulness, whether it's through sickness, we should be praying. We should be praying. And so then he turns his attention not just to how people should be praying no matter the circumstance, but then he turns his attention to how we as a church should pray for one another. Notice how he starts that. Verse 16, confess your sins. Pray for one another. Why does he say to do that for one another? It's because we're in constant need. We're in constant need. And not just physically speaking, but spiritually as well. Confess your sins. Pray for one another. Why does James say both of those, right? This, this seems like James would just need to say, well, just pray for one another. Why does he say, confess your sins? Why does he tie that idea with it? Is it because sin produces sickness, physical sickness, and prayer cures both? I don't think so. Is it because physical healing is a sign that God has forgiven a person? 
I don't think so. I think he mentions these two things together because James wants to emphasize that the greatest need, y'all listen to this, the greatest need is not just physical. It's spiritual. And, and perhaps the church back then is caught up in the same thing that we get caught up in today when it comes to prayer. Well, I'm not feeling well. Well, put me on the prayer list. And that's great. That's great. But we've got to realize, church, that we don't just pray for each other physically, but we need to pray for each other spiritually. And one way that we do that is we confess to each other. You know what confession does? It's you telling another brother, I don't have it, or sister, I don't have it all together. I don't have this Christian walk figured out. So he says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. And it's so important that we do those things to each other. Notice the result. Healing. Do these two things, he says. Why? So that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. Folks, we pray for each other. We confess our weaknesses to each other. Ultimately, so that we can be healed. When I think about this, I just think about how there's so many aspects of our lives, church, that we need healing in. And we don't even think about it. In fact, there's so many aspects in our lives where we think that I've got this figured out. I don't really need to pray. I don't need other people in the body praying for me. I don't need to confess my sins to one another. But that's the only way that we're going to get healing. That's the only way that we're going to overcome some of the things that we're facing is when we do it together. We can't go on our own and expect that we've got this thing figured out and we don't need the body around us. So when it comes to, to this, how do we help each other? You know, last week we looked at Galatians chapter 6 about bearing one another's burdens. How do we do that? How do we help other people in the church? Well, a lot of times we may give advice. A lot of times we may give encouragement from the Scriptures. We may remind people about the promises of God. All of these are excellent things, don't get me wrong, and we should be doing these things, but we've got to realize that if we neglect praying for each other, then we have neglected one of the most important things that's going to bring about healing and change in the body. This is what Ian e. Bounds, uh, uh, just a great uh, pastor from a previous time gone by, he puts it this way, talking to men for God is a great thing. So telling people, reminding them what God says, talking to them for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. He will never talk well with real success to men for God who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. You can give the best advice. You can give the most fitting reminders of the promises of God to people. But listen, if we neglect praying for each other, it is useless. If we neglect talking to God about each other, it is 
useless. Church, we've got to pray for each other. We won't be all that Christ has called us to be unless we do this. We won't be the church on mission that He's called us to be unless we do this. I wonder how many times we find ourselves gossiping about another brother or sister. And we find ourselves, man, we've got this thing figured out. If I could solve all their problems for them if they would just let me. I wonder how many times when we open our mouth and gossip, have we even prayed for that person and talked to the one who can actually help them, who can actually change them. James tells us that prayer brings healing to each other. Second thing that he reminds us of that as we reflect on the passage is that prayer is powerfully effective. Prayer is powerfully effective. And I love the way the New American Standard puts it. It says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer. What does that mean, effective? It, it means to... Uh, that, that verb to be effective means to put one's capabilities into operation. It means to start doing something, to be effective, to work. He's saying that prayer produces results. Prayer produces results. I remember when I worked for a company in North Carolina that sometimes when I wanted things to change, you know, sometimes if I saw my division or something kind of going on a road that I didn't really feel comfortable with, and I, I thought that, you know, we could make this thing better, I, I would go into my boss's office, and I would always say, hey, can I bend your ear for a minute? And he would always laugh at me, because apparently I'm the only person that he knew that would say, you know, to bend your ear, can, you, you know, can I bend your ear for a second and talk to you? And I would go in there with whatever concern I had, and we would talk through it, and uh, usually something would happen. This was the man who had the ability to get something done and I would go to him and I would talk and things would happen. I would bend his ear. I wonder how much more we think prayer is effective because we're not just going into the office of our boss, but we're going in to talk to the Creator of the universe. We're going in and, and talking through prayer to the One who sustains all things. We are bending His ear. And so James is telling us that that prayer is effective. That it does something. And I love what one commentator he says. He says this is referring to the fact that a righteous person's prayers are alive, at work, energized and energizing and ongoing. It's the idea that our prayers are doing something. He goes on and says, instead, however, of focusing on God at work in the prayer, James sees the workingness of the prayer because righteous people can prevail with God. He's saying that he puts that word there, effective prayer, because he wants us to understand that church, when we pray, we can bend the ear of God. We can prevail with Him. Our prayers will do something. But notice what he says next. Notice what he says that these effective prayers are doing. He says these effective prayers have much power. They have much power. They can accomplish much. I love that word much. 
Because it actually is speaking about two things. It's speaking about the breadth of prayer and the depth of the power of prayer. The breadth, he's saying, it can accomplish in a lot of different ways. In other words, it's not just this is the one thing you can pray about, but it's we can pray about anything. We don't just have to pray about Aunt Sue's hip, but we can pray about anything that we want to talk to God about. And we should. Even the most minute details, we should pray about. But not only does much mean in a lot of things, in a great number of things, but it also means that it is powerful in the things that we pray for. You know, before James was using the word effective to talk about our prayers and how our prayers are doing something, but now he's turning his attention to the one that our prayers are directed to. The fact that when we pray, it is powerful and at work, God answers our prayers, and whatever it is that we pray about, something happens. James is telling us that it is effective, it is powerful, and then notice what he says, the prayer of who? Y'all, this is, this is so good. The prayer of a righteous person, of a righteous man. This means that it is not a super elite class of Christians that get to bend God's ear. In the beginning of this paragraph, he talks about the elders of the church coming and, and laying hands on uh, the sick, anointing them with oil, praying for them. But then he circles around and says, oh hey, by the way, it's not just the elders of the church who's going to have a good prayer life. It's not just the pastor that's going to have a good prayer life. It's not just the older people in the church that have lived uh, many years and has, have, have so much experience. It's not just the super elite class of Christians, but he says it is for any Christian. The righteous man, he says, these are everyday people who are seeking God's will. That means you, that means me. Everyday folks. The righteous man just simply means one who is wholehearted, wholeheartedly committed to God and seeking after His will. And so the question that I have for us as we look at that, do we think that prayer works? Do we think that prayer is really effective or do we just see it as, well, that's the plan B. My plan A didn't work, so I guess I need to pray about it. We need to be careful not to be functional atheists when it comes to prayer. Functional atheists. It's basically people who believe all the claims of Christianity or all the claims that there is a God, but they live their life as if He doesn't exist. We don't want to be functional atheists when it comes to prayer, we don't want to just say, well, I'm a Christian, so I know that I should pray, but I really don't think that it does a whole lot. We need to be people who are committed to what James is saying here. Committed to the power of prayer and knowing in our minds that the best thing that we can do in our lives for a situation is to pray. That it's not just the plan B when everything else doesn't work, but it's actually the very thing that we should start with. Prayer. Prayer. 
Finally, the third reflection that we see in the passage is that prayer should be practiced by every Christian. By every Christian. So he's talking about the power of prayer, and then he's basically saying, hey, come in here real close and let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of the power of prayer. And he turns his attention to Elijah. He turns his attention to Elijah. Now, I just think there's probably a lot better examples in the Old Testament than Elijah. Right? I mean, why didn't you pick Moses? Why didn't you pick Abraham? I mean, Abraham, he, wouldn't he be a good one? The man of faith that God calls to leave his homeland and go to a land that he's never seen before and he gets up and goes. The man who, who goes and takes his only son, the son of the promise, when God says sacrifice him, he says, okay, I'm going to go as painful as it is. I mean, right, wouldn't he be a better example of faith and prayer? But he gives us Elijah. I want to call your attention to the very most important thing that James says about Elijah. Right there in the beginning. He was a man with a nature like ours. Why does James use Elijah instead of Moses or Abraham? Because Elijah, y'all listen, he was just like us. James doesn't want to point us to some superhero of the faith, although Elijah definitely could be considered that. He wanted to point us instead to somebody that we can relate to so that we can see that prayer is not just for the super elite. It's not just for the super spiritual, but it is for somebody who is just like me. Why is he just like us? Why does he have a nature just like ours? I mean, think about Elijah. I don't know where the community in the church, Mount Carmel, got its name from, but I'm assuming it's probably from... Elijah, Mount Carmel. I mean, think about Elijah. God used him in a powerful display against the prophets of Baal. God used Elijah to show the world and show everybody around that I am the true God and there is none beside me. God used his prayers to cause drought to show others who he is. That's the thing that James zooms in on, that he prayed and a drought came, and he prayed again and it rained. So surely Elijah comes from a long line of prophets. Surely he comes from the super elite class of men of God. But where does the Old Testament tell us he comes from? Tishbite. Where is that? Nobody knows. Here is a dude who came from obscurity that God used mightily. He's also the one who, after he slew the prophets and Jezebel the queen came after him, he ran away in fear. He's also the man who wanted to die and begged God just to take his life because he was so afraid by the opposition. Guys, he's not some super elite. He's a person just like us that God used. He's a person just like us that God used. And he used him mightily how? Through his prayers. That's it right there, through his prayers. You have an ordinary guy 
You know, God loves to use ordinary people. God doesn't look for some super elite person and say, oh, I'm going to use that guy. He doesn't look for people who has it all together and says, I'm going to use that person. I'm going to use that lady because she's got all of it figured out. God uses people just like Elijah who are ordinary people. That's the kind of people that God uses. And He uses those people through prayer. It wasn't through His personality or His strength. It wasn't because of anything, where He comes from, that who His Father is. It's because He knew that He was weak and that the only strength He has was to depend on God in prayer. And if Elijah could have a powerful prayer life church, so can we. If Elijah could have a prayer life where he started a drought, church, so could we. Prayer doesn't show that we're able. Prayer doesn't show how mighty or how spiritual we are. Prayer shows how weak we are. It shows how desperately we need His help. When you find a Christian who is devoted to prayer, you're going to find a Christian who says, I don't have all the answers, and if it's not for my prayer, if it's not for God working through me, I'm just not going to make it. We don't live the Christian life as if we've got it all together. We live the Christian life in total dependence on our Father. We're like little kids. We don't expect little kids. We don't expect our, our toddlers. We don't expect our preschoolers or our elementary school kids. We don't expect them to have it all figured out. We don't expect them to balance their checkbook, to go buy their own car. We don't expect them to pay the bills. No, why? Because they're a kid. And church, we are His kids if we're in Christ. If you're in Christ today, you are His child. And so that means... Not only does He delight to hear from you, that means that you're in total dependence on Him. And so the question for us today is, why don't we pray? And y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you. This message was extremely hard to prepare because I see my own weakness. I'll just be transparent for a second and let you know the biggest area that I struggle with is prayerlessness. I shared with you guys before, when I was in seminary, I mean, I thought, man, I'm in seminary, I'm going to class, I'm getting all, I'm intaking all. I don't really have to be that devoted to prayer right now. And there would be times where I'd go weeks and think back, like, man, when was the last time that I communed with God in prayer? Surely none of you guys are that bad. This is hard because the question is not, only do we believe in the power of prayer, but it's why don't we pray? Why are we so struck with prayerlessness? And I'm convinced it's because we think, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's because I think and we think that we are self-sufficient and we don't need any help. I've got this, God. I've got it figured out. I'll start my day and I've got exactly what I need to do. I don't need your help. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Breathing is such a natural part of life and just like praying is such a natural part of being a Christian. How do we even walk the Christian walk if not for prayer? So what does your prayer life look like? 
Is it just on certain occasions? Is it just when your Aunt Sue breaks her hip? Does prayer just get your leftovers? I'll pray, Lord, but I'll just pray in like the couple of minutes that I have on a break. I'm not going to really, I'm just going to give it what's left over. Now, don't get me wrong, it's good to pray on your break. It's good to pray on your commute to work. But is that all that God gets from you? Is just your commute to work? Are you, you know, giving Him uninterrupted, unhindered, unhurried time to commune? Isn't it an everyday part of your life? Do you look at prayer just like breathing? Like, if it's not for this, I'm not going to make it. If I don't get up and pray, then I'm, I'm just, this day is going to go very poorly. Is it second nature to us? James wants us to see just how powerful prayer is. And he wants us to see that it's not just powerful, but we ought to do it for each other. We see that prayer brings healing to each other. That prayer is powerfully effective and prayer is to be practiced by every Christian. Elijah was a man just like us. Prayer is effective and it brings healing to the body of Christ. Church, we need healing. We as individuals need healing and we as a church need healing. The way that we're going to bring that about is by praying for one another. How do we respond to this? Well, this morning, if you're not a Christian, I would say prayer for you, it looks different because you're actually at odds with God. You're at odds with Him. You're not His child. But He invites you to be. He invites you to come near to Him through what Jesus has done. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life that you and I should have lived. And He died in our place. This morning, you can be cleansed, you can be forgiven, you can be adopted by clinging to Jesus. And we would love to talk to you more about that. If you're a Christian in the room today, for you, responding to this means simply take the next baby step. Right? It's not, it's not we're, God doesn't want us to just you know, take these massive steps. Take a baby step. You're, if you're struggling with prayerlessness, don't think that like tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and go pray for two hours. It's just not going to happen. But start small. Take baby steps. Pray for five minutes. Pray for ten minutes. Work your way up. Get into the habit of it. And just take those steps. The second thing I think that we need to do to respond is just simply to set time aside. I mean, I am busy, y'all are busy, everybody's so busy. And we actually sometimes have to take our calendar and our iPhone and actually set aside time and say, this is time for prayer. Whether that's in the morning, if you're a morning person, whether that's at night, set aside time for it. And, and finally, set aside a location. This is the most practical advice that I could possibly give. Set aside a location you hear people all the time talk about a prayer closet or a prayer room or just somewhere that you go that when you go there, it's like your mind and your heart say, okay, we're fixing to pray. Pick a location. Make that your spot. And it will really help as we pray for each other. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You give us the things that we need. And Father, forgive us 
for our prayerlessness. Forgive us, Lord, for when we think that we can do it on our own. Lord, we know that in everything that we do, we are in total dependence on You. Just like I don't expect my kids to have it together, Lord, I expect my kids to be weak and to need my help, Lord. In the same way, we're Your children. Help us to see ourselves rightly. Help us to see that, Lord, that apart from You, we can do nothing. And Lord, help us as a church to renew our commitment to prayer so that we can be healed. So that we can lay hold of the healing that we as individuals need in whatever area of our life, Lord, You know. I pray, Lord, that You would raise up people in this church, men and women, to be prayer warriors. To be people who sit down with a list of everybody in the church and just go through, taking a few names at a time, praying. God, what would You be willing to do through us if we simply prayed for one another? In Jesus' name.